time to get the inside scoop. Welcome to News Radio 610 and 96.7's Press Pass with Chris Ryan. For the last 20 years, Chris has seen it all with Boston sports. He knows the coaches, the players, and the front office. You'll find out what they think. All the access, all the insight. Now, the Press Pass with Chris Ryan on News Radio 610 and 96.7. Celtics take game one of the NBA Finals out on the West Coast. Red Sox head out there as well as they stumble at home. And Ozzie Smith, a conversation with him in Cooperstown coming up here on the Press Pass. Good morning. I am Chris Ryan. So the Celtics are looking to win the 13th championship in the last 20 years here in Boston. And I cannot think of a more improbable run to a championship from any of these teams. And we could make arguments about different groups. The first one for the Patriots to 2013 Red Sox. Of course, 04 Red Sox, first time winning a championship in 86 years. But this Celtics team was 20 and 21, and they're now three wins from an NBA championship after their 120 108 victory over the Golden State Warriors in game one of the NBA Finals. They did it in game one with Al Horford, with Derek White, but mostly with their defense as the Celtics allowed only 16 points in the fourth quarter and turned what was a 15-point deficit with less than two minutes to go in the third quarter of play into a 12-point win. That is a 27-point turnaround over those 13-plus minutes. Congrats to the Celtics on a Game 1 victory that was hinged, as has their season been, on high-quality defense. Game 2 is tomorrow at 8 p.m. out in Golden State against the Warriors before things shift to Boston for games three and four. That is Wednesday for game number three and Friday for game number four. To me, this was an absolutely huge win for the Celtics because we expected Golden State to come out and have success in this game. They had a great first quarter. Uh, Steph Curry was lights out, playing like it was a video game with 21 points in that first quarter, but ended with only 34. So 21 points in the first and 13 over the remaining three quarters of play. Celtics did the job defensively against Steph Curry after that initial quarter, and they survived a difficult game for Jason Tatum. Didn't shoot the ball well, only 12 points did have 13 assists for the season. I talked with Celtics head coach Ime Udoka about what he is seeing from the Warriors. Hey, Ime, hope all is well with you. Just after a couple of days watching the Warriors here, what do you see from them? And do you see significant differences between you know, this group and the team that you saw winning championships in San Antonio? Obviously, the, the things that stand out have stood out for years. Uh, obviously, high-level shot making uh, from three-point line. Uh, they've added pieces, uh, some young guys that have stepped up over the years, uh, you know, and and pool adds that to that mix. Uh, you know, you've added some veterans as well to the group, but um, the core is the core. You know, what they do well is uh, shoot the ball, uh, but I think teams can kind of overdose on that at times, and, and it's a lot of the little things that get them going. Uh, Basket cuts, slips a basket, you know, you, you're so concerned about their three-point shooting that they get a lot of other things. And, you know, transition is key. Um, you know, they've done a great job, especially in the Dallas series, offensive rebounding. And then the off-ball actions that lead to easy baskets. And so um, those things have been there for a while now, and it's not it's not always about the obvious or what people think with the shooting. Uh, you know, they make 15 threes in their, in their wins and 11 in their losses, so it's not a huge difference. They're going to get those up regardless. 
And it's a lot of little things that uh, can kind of lead you to overreacting to um, some of the three-point shots and opening everything else up. Last part regarding the San Antonio stuff, this is a different team overall. Um, I think with the additions, you know, of Wiggins and and Poole, it, it puts four high-level uh, perimeter guys out there. Uh, they've had some injuries as well, and, you know, Draymond is Draymond, no downsides, but Looney's been really good. Um, you know, they're playing veterans like Porter and Belichka, so they have a lot of guys they'll go to trying to find the right combination. It's a little more uh, perimeter-based with some new additions that really have taken them to, no, to another level. Red Sox also out in the Bay Area as they began a three-game set against the Oakland A's last night. The Red Sox began the road trip three games under five hundred. If they go 6-4 and four on this trip, they get to within a game of that 500 mark, but really a missed opportunity at home as they ended up having a losing homestand in seven games, dropping 4-7 of seven against the lowly Baltimore Orioles and even lowlier Cincinnati Reds. So not great for the Red Sox. I checked in with Michael Waka. Red Sox starting rotation has been a really solid part of this team. Waka, coming off an injury, uh, has struggled a bit. Uh, giving up eight runs in three starts, but still has a 2.43 ERA. Just how do you feel you've come out of the last couple starts coming off of the IL? Do you feel like you're where you want to be yet, or you're still working? Uh, Definitely still working. Um, Yeah, that never stops. And so there's always stuff that I can take out of each start that I can – uh, you know, take into my catch play, into my side session, and uh, continue to work on. Um, but, yeah, coming back from the IL, just been a little bit inconsistent with, with some of the commands, command stuff and, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, continue to work on cleaning that stuff up. But uh, overall, you know, feeling, feeling good about, um, you know, where my body is and how it's moving. When you talk about your command, obviously, you know, a fan watches the game and they say, okay, he gave up a couple runs this inning or home run ball here, and obviously he didn't get that pitch where he wanted. Is is that something that you see as a pitcher kind of sustained throughout the outing and to get away with a couple things here and there and it shows up every now and then? Right. I mean, every, every pitch isn't going to go exactly where you want it. There's going to be some misses and stuff um, like that, and – you know, some days they they get the misses. Some days they foul off the misses or take the misses. And uh, you know, I, I feel like that's where you can get in trouble is whenever they do hit your misses. And you try to limit those as much as you can. And um, yeah, with certain pitches, you know, you've got your spot where you want to throw it. And if you do miss, you've got an idea of where you want it to end up. And uh, you know, that's uh, that's kind of going into into each pitch for sure. That being said, obviously, it's been a really solid start for you here with the Red Sox. It's been one of the brighter spots, obviously, this year. For you personally, what has kind of clicked here for you? You, ha- you felt good coming into you know this season the- following the way you pitched down the stretch last year, but what you just kind of clicked? Uh, you know, just working with uh, Bushy out there has been really helpful. And, uh, you know, just getting to know these catchers and continuing to build those relationships, I think uh, – is a huge thing, uh, you know, once we started that in spring training. Um, but, yeah, just overall, just my mechanics, I feel like I've got in a good spot over the, you know, course of the end of last year and coming into the spring training this year and first uh, part of this season. And, uh, you know, just continuing to, to understand my pitch mix and, and how it plays against certain hitters and how to attack them, I think has been real beneficial uh, for me. 
What's that decision process like for you where you have your plus pitches, fastball's obviously really good, change-up's really good. Um, what had you determine, you know, your strengths versus their strengths at times? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, sometimes you can fall into a, you know, a, a path of, you know, maybe going away away from your strengths and pitching to their weaknesses, but I found that it's more uh, more beneficial for a for a pitcher to always, you know, pitch to their strengths and, um, you know, kind of, kind of just keep on attack with with what you know that you can do out there and try not to to be somebody else and, uh, you know, just having that confidence, conviction with your pitches against those hitters that uh, this is the right pitch to go with. Final thing, what do you? sense this team is at this point where it felt like you guys were about to take off just about the time you, you came off the IL on that uh, the uh, Mariners series and things were moving in, a, in the positive direction then take a step back is that just baseball or do you feel this team is kind of still trying to find its identity the way that's going to win on a consistent basis yeah uh I mean obviously we didn't get off to the to the hot start that we would have liked to in that first month but you know I feel like we played a much better baseball the second month and uh you know, started to come around there, and I mean, that's a like you said, it's a, it's baseball, man. It's a it's a it's a roller coaster throughout a whole 162 games, and we've uh, we can't lose vision of of our end goal, and and that's to you know make the postseason and make a little run there, and so um, you know, it's just continuing to show up each day and uh, continue to fight for those nine innings and pull out a W. But we understand that, hey, there's going to be some ups and downs, but that's where we rely on our relationships, our camaraderie, and, you know, picking each other up whenever we're down and uh, getting back out there the next day and uh, getting after it. We're going to hear from a potential Hall of Famer in Joey Votto, who got to play his first games at Fenway Park in his long career. He was injured the previous time the Reds came in. we hear from him in just a little bit. But first, a trip to Cooperstown and Doubleday Field for a conversation with the Wizard, one of the greatest shortstops ever, Ozzie Smith. Check. Here with Ozzie Smith. And just what is it like for him to be back here at the Hall of Fame with this group? And it seems like a big theme this weekend is some of the best players of the 80s. Saw George Brett the other night. It seems like that's one of the big themes this weekend. Well, you know, it's it, it's great. This has always been a great event because it gives you a chance to see guys that you may not have played, um, you may not play with or against that were good players in Major League Baseball. So this weekend is very, uh, it's very special. Um, I think the guys enjoy coming back and seeing guys that you haven't had a chance to see in quite a while, you know. So they do a good job of assembling ex-players that have had an impact in the game. And this weekend, I think for a lot of them who have never been here, it gives them an opportunity to come and experience what the Hall of Fame is all about. And with no one really played back in you know, the 80s and 90s, I mean, guy like Alan Trammell you're standing next to right now, Wade Boggs, you played obviously against Brett in the World Series. Like, you heard about these guys, you saw them on TV a little bit, but... You can get mm-hmm. to know them. That's right. And so it gives you a chance to, to, to hang out with them. You know, my pitcher today, Bruce Chan, I never got a chance to, to visit with him and stuff. And so it would be nice to, to, to visit with him. And then you got Young. And who else? Is, well, Steve Sachs and I played against each other a lot. You're in Pat Borders. Um, so it's, it's nice to, to be able to come back and, 
and visit with the guys and, and get to know them on a personal level. I was reading your book, and you, know, you built your major league career in getting to the big leagues on defense. Do you feel like that can happen today? Do you feel like guys have to hit and the defense is kind of an added bonus, or can a guy be, obviously you're exceptional. Well, you're, what you're saying is that you can be, you can be one-dimensional today as opposed to back in the day. You know, you had to be multidimensional. You couldn't just be a one-dimensional player. You can be a one-dimensional player today and have a good big league career. Um, so I think that when you talk about the game changing, I think that in, in many ways that's how the game has changed. I'm not sure that guys like myself and Omar Vizquel would get drafted today in, in today's environment and stuff. Um, if we did, I think it would be uh, one of those situations where it was a special a situation where somebody saw you knew uh, the importance of, of, the, of the things that we could do. Um, but, you know, now the thing that really catches the eye of organizations is the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's become a lot more prevalent. And you look at even, you know, Boggs, George Brett, and Rod Carew, like there's just not hitters like that anymore. They hit for, you know, a high average. Obviously, you know, the OBP is significant, but the flicking of the ball versus the driving of the ball. Yeah. Well, hitting the ball hard, I, I think that our generation of players, our whole thought process was different in that we knew that if you hit the ball hard and you squared the ball up, home runs and those things would come. The important thing is being able to, to drive in runs, you know, um, and especially when you got runners in scoring position, man on third base with less than two down, getting that runner in, um, we know that you don't necessarily have to hit the ball out of the ballpark to be able to get that run in. And those things are very, very important as they are today. They're not as not as much emphasis is put on it, but it's still important to have those people that can get the runner in from third base with less than two down, or drive that runner in from second base with with, with two outs. Do you think that the game will evolve as it has in the past back to you know, the form of baseball that we saw, you know, in the the eighties and even in the, in the fifties to a large degree as well? And it evolved with the changing of the pitcher's mound and rule changes have taken place in the past. But do you think it will cycle its way back to the brand of baseball, or do you think it's stuck? It's on a it's on a circle. Uh, you know, we're in a in a in a different phase right now where you know it's to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But I think that it'll it'll change. There's certain parts of the game that. Will, will always be. You got to catch it. You got to hit. You got to run. You got to throw it. Those parts of the game will never change. And the teams that are going to have success on an ongoing basis are those teams that are going to be able to do those things and do them consistently. I want to ask you about the book as well, in that it came out in the the '80s, and you made some pretty significant accusations in regard to um, the Crocs and racism. That obviously was. At the time, I was just wondering how that was received, and now it's kind of in line with a lot of the things we've seen throughout the course of the game, and you were one of the first people to make those claims, so we've got the NFL as an example. Um, so how was it received during that, that time period, and did you feel like you were kind of going out on a limb and calling out things that were taking place that needed to? No, I wasn't going out. I, I don't think I was going out on a limb, because what we do is we, 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 we talk about our life experiences, and that's reality, you know. Uh, that was a reality for me. So uh, it wasn't going out of line at all, I don't think. And if people, I don't think people took it that way. I think that they saw what they saw, and that's the way it was, you know. So uh, what you're seeing now is, is is how prevalent it was, and I think it reinforces what not only myself but other people were talking about at the time. The final thing is just on your career as a whole, and do you feel, you know, when you 
look at things at the end of the day, that you were the best defensive shortstop ever to play the game. And is that important to you to have that, that mantra in addition to being you know, a winner, a good teammate, and those things? I think all of those things are taken into consideration. I, I think for me, my defensive prowess is what allowed me to get to the big leagues. It's, it's what I did, you know. Um, and you're always going to have there's always going to be people's ability to question, you know, who was the best. And I think that's what makes the game great. Um, You know, I came into this game knowing that I had to work hard every day to be the very best that I could. And if I was going to stay, I had to do it on a consistent basis. And when you talk about generations, I think that that's the one thing that we're talking about. And I I can stand here today and say that I made the Hall of Fame, and I think all of the guys that have made the Hall of Fame made it because they were consistent in what they did. There was a degree of consistency with the work that they put in every day, and I was just one of those guys that enjoyed putting in the in the work. I love the process. You know, I, I love practice, and I know there are a lot of people that don't like practice, but I think that that's where all your hard work is done. You know, you, you put your work into your practice, and then... All of the other things kind of fall into place when you when you're doing what it is you're supposed to do on a daily basis. And um, for all of us that, that have had the, the opportunity to play this game, I think we played it. Um, I was having a conversation last night with with George Brett and, and Alan Trammell, and we were talking about if if a hundred dollars was all we were going to make, we we're going to be the best hundred dollar ball players that we could be. So you know, I, I'm not sure that. Guys look at it or, 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 or feel the same way about the game today as we did back then. But we played the game basically because we loved it. Um, we put our heart and our souls into it. And we, we were there to entertain these people every day. And we understood the importance of, of going out there and being there for your team every day and understanding that us at, a, at 75 or 80% was going to be better than somebody else at 100% from a psychological standpoint for your team. And, you know, you look at guys today, and I'm not sure that they approach it that same way at understanding the importance of just your, what an impact you have just being there mentally. And, uh, those are things that I think that from our generation, we all understood that. And that's why you have a Cal Ripken that plays nine million games, you know, because he understood the importance of a work ethic and, and, and being there for your teammates. And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just nice to have had the opportunity to play at the time that I did. And one more thing. One of the great things about coming to Cooperstown is my dad's here, my son's here, and we're debating the all-time best defensive nine out of Hall of Famers. Since we're, we had you at shortstop. And I was wondering, who would you have at second base? A guy you'd want to turn double plays with all-time, you feel like that would be the best DP combination ever? I don't know. That's kind of hard, you know, because there are so many guys that that were good at the position. You know, when you look around here in the Hall of Fame, there are guys like that, that really kind of stands out right away. And Robbie Alomar, you know, you know, Robbie Alomar is one of those guys. Here again, I think Robbie, if I'm not mistaken, is also one of those guys that was drafted by the Padres. And so, you know, having a, a, a player that has his, his defensive ability, you cover a lot of ground, great hands, the ability to hit. And, and here again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier in being more than one-dimensional. 
you know, could do a number of things. And I think all of our goal, we'd like to be if 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 we could just start start from this dirt and, and mold something. You want to be that five-two player, that player that Gary Templeton that I got traded for, you know, a guy who has power, a guy who can hit for average, a guy who can run like a deer, a guy who has a cannon. You know, that that was that was what we aspired to be. And unfortunately not all of us had that had that ability, but we were more than one dimensional. We understood that if we were gonna hang around the big leagues that we had to be more than one dimensional. Ozzy appreciate it. All right, thank you. Thank you. Enjoy that. Thank you. <laughs> Hall of Famer Ozzie Smith right there. A guy that may be joining him at the Hall of Fame is Joey Votto, who played for the first time at Fenway Park in his long Major League career, which dates back to 2007 this past week. Votto, a career 300 batting average, 334 home runs, and 1,078 RBIs, numbers that are comparable to one Jim Rice, of course, headed to the Hall. He's an interesting dude, too. Talked to Joey Votto. So, Joey, you've been to Fenway, obviously, before, but what is this experience like for a player, even a veteran player who's been around all the, the ballparks? What is Fenway like for you? Um, this is my second time. Uh, the first time I came, I was hurt, so um, the, uh, the um, ballpark experience has dictated oftentimes how we play and how I play. Um, I'm, it's funny, you come to, we, co- we come to all of these different cities, and it's like, I, th- I, I think at the very end of my career, I'm probably going to have to revisit some of the cities to be able to take them in as, you know, as a um, non, non-ball player, to be able to, you know, walk the Freedom Trail, you know, there were several museums I wanted to go to that I couldn't just because of time and because we try to stay off our feet, or at least I try to stay off my feet before games. Um, but it has a real charm to it. Certainly, the the, the community has a real personality, a real identity to it, and um, you know it's a pleasure coming here. When you look at you know, the success you've had over the course of your career, as you mentioned, uh, there's a lot that goes in away from the field in order to maintain the type of consistency that you've been able to have. But are there are a couple things that you can can pinpoint as to how you've been able to maintain the level of consistency for this period of time. Um. Consistency, I think, is um, not only um, a perspective, but a lifestyle, truly. My free time is pretty pretty similar each and every day. Again, I don't get to do too much, but that's okay. That's what, I've deci- that's what I'm doing, and you know, that's what I'm doing during this time of my career. You, know, you have to, certainly have to have talent. You have to have good practice habits. And then you have, you know, if you're lucky, you, you have, like, good coaching and good instruction, so... For me, those those I've been fortunate enough to have. Do you find yourself later in your career, you know, now taking, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of time to take things in away from the field, but in terms of the game, who you're playing against, the being here each day, has that perspective changed for you, or is the the preparation aspect, which seems to be kind of mentally demanding, not allow for you to you know enjoy? things later on in your career as you have to do more in order to perform the way you want to i don't think of being at the end of my career i i i think of myself as as one of one of the you know reds players that has to perform well for two nights game has to prepare for two nights game that's what's on my mind as far as retirement i may talk that sometimes but deep down inside i don't i just don't feel like i'm anywhere near that i just feel i feel good i feel strong i feel like i'm going to perform exceptionally well. I don't feel like I'm very far off from my peak, if at all. 
So um, despite the poor start this year, by the end of the year, that I'll show that. Um, so I, as far as being at the end of my career, it's just it just doesn't align with what, how mm-hmm. I view how I view my version uh, or the, my skill set right now. What drives kind of that thought process where you, you have this dedication to excellence and maintaining a kind of consistent off-field and on-field approach to, to get there? Like what, what drives you in order to continue to want to sustain the level that you want to play at? I think it's a positive feedback loop. You know, um, playing well motivates you to play well. <laughs> you know, and so I, I, once you have a little bit of success, it becomes addictive. And you want to do everything you can to have more of that, you know, feel that feeling of being successful, of performing well, um, feeds into the work, which feeds into the, you know, the rest and recovery and the lifestyle. And, and then performing well again, kind of, again, the positive feedback loop. So to me, I, I don't have as much control over it as I think I let myself think, as I, I, as I tell myself. You know, performing well is just so addictive. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. This has been The Press Pass with Chris Ryan. Join us again next week. If you missed any of the show or would like to check out our past episodes, go to WGIRAM.com or NewsRadio967.com for The Press Pass on News Radio 610 and 967.